powered by Clear Vision Development Group. This is Better Than Before with Tony Richards, a business leaders podcast. Each week, we'll provide you with top business insights, fresh perspectives from world-class guests, and the tools you need to lead better than before. And now, here's your host, author and business coach, Tony Richards. Welcome to Better Than Before, and we're not talking about B4, as in bingo, B4. We're talking about before you listened, right? Always subscribe to our show. You can do that with Apple iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, iHeartRadio, and the C-Suite Radio Network. You can also visit our website at clearvisiondevelopment.com. We post new stuff almost daily, and our blog has over 400 Closing in on 500 posts on leadership and business. Just put in the topic you're looking for in the search box and you get plenty of stuff. Also, while you're there on the website, you can uh, subscribe to the Monday Morning Memo and you can get big ideas straight to your inbox each Monday morning. Insights, quotes, best practices, and more. Well, thanks a lot for joining me. I'm Tony Richards, your host. Also along for the ride is our chief producer, Bill Foster. Hi, Bill. Hello, Tony. How's everything going, man? Going good. How about you? I'm doing okay. I got, uh, I'm taking a lot of Benadryl, but I'm doing all right. The weather can't make up its mind, so it's got me all out of kilter. Ah, uh, yeah. It's been kind of crazy around here. We uh, survived. Uh, what were the names of those storms? We had Gia, and we had Harper, and and we have another one brewing, I think. Oh, is that right? Yeah, so it would be G-H-I. It'll start with an I. Okay. Maybe it will just be the eye storm <laughs> with just an eye, like like Apple. I was just going to say maybe the iMac storm. Yeah. By the way, we have a great show lined up today. Julie Potterker is going to be here, and she's the author of the book, When Life Falls Apart, You Don't Have To. She's uh, very knowledgeable in neuroscience and happiness, and so she's going to tell us a little bit about that. And in our leadership and business lesson a little bit later on today, I'm going to give you another way that you can spend your strategic time alone. So uh, this egg picture has taken over Instagram. So this picture of an egg has become the most liked picture in Instagram history. 25 million likes in 10 days. The egg officially surpassed the previous most liked picture posted by Kylie Jenner in February 2018 after the birth of her daughter, which had 18 million likes. There's a caption on the egg picture. Let's set a world record together and get the most liked post on Instagram, beating the current world record held by Kylie Jenner of 18 million. We got this. And then it's got a little emoji of hands clapping. Hashtag like the egg. Hashtag egg soldiers. Hashtag egg gang. <laughs> As the Atlantic's Taylor Lorenz reports, these world record accounts aren't new phenomenons on Instagram. This just happens to be the one that achieved massive viral success. What could we do? What could we do on Instagram? And Good question. I was thinking the same thing. Get a gang together with a neat hashtag. Yeah, we have to get creative with our hashtag. They got 25 million likes of an egg. 
Kylie Jenner got into the fun too. She posted a video of her cooking an egg on the ground and then put a caption on it, take that little egg. Nice. Yeah, pictures of eggs. 25,303,508 likes. Wow. I got to think about it. what could we put on Instagram? Let's beat the egg. Hashtag egg beaters. That is something, isn't it? Egg beaters, isn't that a product? I believe it's a fake egg product. Yeah, that's what I thought. Oh, the fake egg. Ah. There you go, right there. Maybe we should do that. NBC will be launching their own Netflix competitor in 2020. So Disney is coming out with their Netflix competitor uh, this year. NBC Universal plans to launch its own streaming service in early 2020. The same year it broadcasts the Olympics. It will be free for cable TV subscribers and cost $12 per month for cord cutters. In today's hyper-competitive streaming landscape, a new platform's best chance at success, or better yet, just to survive, is to make a big splash out of the gate. This gives the platform a horde of early adopters that it can immediately begin interacting with and understanding and convincing to stay, as opposed to spending the first months chasing user acquisition. NBC is poised to do just that. Guess what else happens in 2020, which is the Summer Olympics. Guess who owns that? NBC. Guess what they're going to do? Make certain events in the Olympics streaming only. Mm-hmm. I guess that's smart, huh? Well, I think the biggest question is Hulu, because that's uh, owned by NBC, Universal, Fox, and Disney. And Disney just bought the majority ownership of it. I don't want to share my streaming service with you. I want my own. Yeah, that's what it looks like. So where does Fox fit in? Are they just going to pony up with Disney and stay with Hulu? Or do they? My question is, what event in the Summer Olympics is so popular that you just got to see it so you'll download the app? Like, is it basketball? Track and field, I would think. I'm trying to think like, oh my gosh, I can't wait till the Summer Olympics gets here. I mean, I can't think of why I would say that. I mean, I would watch the USA basketball team, I'm sure. But would I download an app just so I could see it? And would I subscribe to a service just so I could see it? Mm. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. I know. The javelin throw. That's what I want to see. <laughs> the shot put. A wheeled robot named Marty is rolling into nearly 500 grocery stores to alert employees if it encounters spilled granola, squash tomatoes, or a broken jar of mayonnaise. This was on AP, Associated Press. But there could be a human being watching from behind the cartoonish googly eyes of Marty. Badger Technology CEO Tim Rowland says its camera-equipped robots stop after detecting a potential spillage. But to make sure, humans working in a control center in the Philippines review the imagery before triggering a cleanup message over the loudspeaker. Interesting. <laughs> Marty, go to aisle five. Marty, aisle five. We got a blue light cleanup on aisle five. <laughs> 25 of these robots are now operating at certain giant Martins and Stop and Shop stores with 30 more arriving weekly. That's really interesting. We're going to be sharing the aisles with the robot. Danger, danger, William Foster, danger. <laughs> Cereal on sale. 
Robots move around using laser-based LIDAR sensors, and these are the same ones that they use to make autonomous vehicles. Uh, it's the radar version. It's LIDAR that they install. And they pause when shoppers and carts veer into their path. I hope so, because there's a lot of people pushing their carts while looking in the opposite direction. So yes. they could run over poor Marty. The googly eyes are fake, but each robot has eight cameras, some directed down at the floor and others that can see shelves. The robots can eventually be repurposed to help monitor a store's inventory. Hmm. Good idea. Eh, eh, out of pickles. Eh, eh. <laughs> a new paper from the Federal Reserve believes that the reason young people are buying less than in generations past is not that they're smarter and savvier, but they are more indebted. The Federal Reserve estimates that roughly 20% of the decline in home ownership among young adults can be attributed to their increased student loan debts since 2005. The reduction in home buyers represents over 400,000 young individuals who would have owned a home in 2014 had it not been for the rise in their debt. They found that a $1,000 increase in student loan debt causes a 1 to 2 percentage point drop in the home ownership rate for student loan borrowers during their late 20s and early 30s. The Fed is arguing that student loan debt is an important but not central cause of the reduction in home buying. Well, I, I was aware that um, millennials were not buying as many houses. They're trying to posit that this is because of student loan debt. Mm -hmm. Student loan debt goes back a long time, though. It, it's That's not a recent phenomenon. But I think it's just the uh, sheer amount of debt. Oh, because the cost is going up all the right. time. Mm -hmm. Researchers largely put the onus on tighter bank lending standards. The Fed also focused on additional harms from increased student debt, Quoting them, they say, we show that higher student loan debt early in life leads to a lower credit score later in life, all else being equal. Well, I don't want to alarm anyone, but we're having a coffee crisis. Uh-oh. 60%, so 6 out of 10, of the world's coffee species are on the brink of extinction. These are wild coffee species, and the two species that we brew are not directly under threat. <laughs> I gots to have my coffee in the morning, Bill. Experts say we will eventually need to use genes from wild species to maintain the viability of the Arabica and Robusta beans that we use to make coffee, which is going to be tricky to do if they're not here anymore. Right. This is all being reported on by the BBC. Are you ready for our stat of the day? I am ready. I always look forward to the stat of the day. <laughs> Research participants who got a two-second glimpse of a green rectangle completed a subsequent task of imagining various ways to use a tin can with about 20% more creativity than those who had seen a white rectangle says a team led by Stephanie Lichtenfeld of the University of Munich in Germany. It's unclear why green, opposed to red, blue, or gray, would stimulate creativity, 
though the researchers point out that green has strong associations with growth in many cultures. Really interesting. I wonder if our big green wall um, helps creativity. Maybe we should just come in here and stare at this green wall in our studio. Can you imagine the blockbuster ideas that would come from that? I I can't even think how creative we would become. A two-second glimpse, so you can't stare into the rectangle too long. Well, if you look at the green too long, everything turns red. Yeah, and if a two-second glimpse causes 20% increase in creativity, holy cow, if you stared at it for eight seconds, you'd be 100% more creative. Well, there are, you know, I think you're onto something, Tony. I mean, I don't even know if the world could handle such a thing. <laughs> Julie Potiker, the aforementioned author of Life Falls Apart, You Don't Have To, Uh, A wonderful new book that I just finished reading. She is coming up in our guest segment next. Better Than Before is sponsored by University Subaru. From here, been here, always will be here. University Subaru, your truly locally owned dealer. Hi, I'm Dave Drain. And I'm Dan Burks. And we're the owners of University Subaru. As a locally owned business, we care for our community. We know how important it is to give back because we grew up here and we raised our family here. This is our home. Which means we care for customers like we care for the community. University Subaru, your truly locally owned dealer. From here, been here, and we will always be here for you. Are you ready to up your game? Attend the Exponential Leadership Retreat from February 26th through 28th. In these three days, you'll receive personalized leadership coaching in a small group setting led by Tony Richards. Learn to communicate like a leader, understand your motivators, and differentiate yourself from your peers. As a business coach and consultant, I work with leaders every day to help them up their game and lead their team to victory. During this leadership development experience, you will receive the tools you need to unlock your potential. Invest in yourself and gain the same access to Tony that his C-level clients receive. Register for the Exponential Leadership Retreat online at clearvisiondevelopment.com. Welcome back to Better Than Before. I'm Tony Richards. My guest today is mindfulness expert Julie Potiker, author of the new book, Life Falls Apart, But You Don't Have To, Mindful Methods for Staying Calm in the Midst of Chaos. She's got a wealth of information to share today. Julie, welcome to the show. So happy to be with you. So how has mindfulness affected your experience? You've written this book. I love the title. Life falls apart, but you don't have to. How'd you get involved in all this? Well, I was sort of losing my mind when my three kids were in junior high and high school, and I had the wrong words coming out of my mouth. So I went to a neurologist to make sure I didn't have a brain event going on. And he said, you've got too much going on in your brain. You know, once the scans were clear and he did the psych social exam, he recommended mindfulness-based stress reduction, which is a 40-year-old, very solid evidence-based curriculum that John Kabat-Zinn invented. And um, I took it and it opened up an entire genre of learning to my nerdy brain. And I just kept taking course after course after course. And that's kind of how I ended up where I am now. 
fantastic. I enjoyed the book. I'm going to use it not only just as a book I have read, but it's it's kind of one of those books you need to keep around handy because it's got all kinds of great stuff in it. But you talk about unhooking your parenting so you can be more in touch with your own happiness. What, what do you mean by that? Well, you know that phrase, you're only as happy as your least happy child. Yes. Have you ever heard that? Yes, I have. So I wrote in my first draft that whoever said that is a masochist <laughs> and an idiot. And then my editor said, you can't say that. You're going to totally offend people because people actually do say that. So I had to change it and kind of make it more vanilla. Like, you know, I'd be one happy cookie. And I was, because here's the deal. If you're only as happy as your least happy child, and you've got kids that have issues and who doesn't, okay. Growing up is not easy then you're not going to be a happy person. You're not going to be able to be your best self and be your best parent, your best daughter, sister, whatever, brother, if you can't keep your own self together while helping them through their trials and tribulations. You also talk about this concept of being your own BFF in life yep. or, or being a better friend to yourself. How do I do that? Well, if you imagine what you would say to a dear friend when they're having troubles and you can turn that around and, and have that tone of voice and those words directed at yourself, you learn to befriend yourself and to treat yourself with kindness and compassion. And then your attitude and everything changes. I think we're just starting to learn. Um, we're at the tip of the iceberg about this whole neuroscience and you use a lot of neuroscience in the book, and you talk about how mindfulness affects our brain. Mm -hmm. And so tell me a little bit more about mindfulness and rewiring our brains and being more happy. Okay, so the rewiring your brain thing is so cool, and it's actually simple. When you're feeling a feeling that's good, like awe or joy or gladness, sweetness, if you let it land for a moment or two and really feel in your body how good it feels, you're rewiring your brain for more happiness and resilience. So what fires together wires together and you're creating these neural bridges that counteract the negativity bias that all of our brains have because we're primates. So this is a huge body of work and really the granddaddy of it is Rick Hansen. I took his positive neuroplasticity training professional course. And I, that sounds like a lot of mumbo jumbo, but really all it is, is taking in the good and letting it land so that you're creating a happier brain, which creates a happier human. And then you interact with other humans and you've got your happiness and then they're mirroring your neurons. And so it goes rippling out and out and out. And we all become happier, healthier humans. So I have all these mental images of this bust your bra state of being. <laughs> and I was trying to figure out how I do that, but I thought I better just, I thought I better just ask you. Oh gosh. So if for some reason, it seems like I teach a lot of women, like middle-aged women like myself. However, last weekend I taught a retreat and it was half men. Oh. And I certainly did not use bust your bra as a visual but the Buster Bra thing, when you learn how to feel emotions in your body and you're in the middle of being led in a loving kindness meditation where you're just 
wishing these gorgeous wishes, like may you be safe, may you be happy, may you be healthy, may you live your life with ease. And you're visualizing a person that you're saying these things to, or all people or all sentient beings, eventually people feel this like radiating energy from their solar plexus or their chest or their heart center or whatever. And it just feels like if you're wearing a bra, you could bust it. Mm-hmm. One of the pieces of the book that really spoke to me, I have a harsh inner critic and I've worked on it over the years. And especially if I think I should win and I don't, uh, that inner critic can be very, very harsh on me, uh, which is just the, the voice inside my head that's being critical of me. We all have that nagging internal voice. Uh, but you talk about thanking your inner bitch, which is also, you know, slanted toward the female side. But I know this can help me. I want you to tell me how I can I can use this. Okay, so this, the the actual term for that whole modality is inner critic work or parts work. And it's internal family systems. Dr. Schwartz has an entire institute for clinicians to learn how to do this, to help train people to make friends with basically and get to know all the different parts of themselves. And in the mindful self-compassion curriculum that I'm trained to teach, there's two exercises that I have in the book that are really helpful and they're writing exercises. And in one of them, you come up with a problem that's not like your biggest doozy, but something like, I wish I ate less or I exercised more or something like that. And then you write to yourself as your inner critic would write to yourself. And my inner critic is really, <laughs> she really is a bitch, right? right. And then you, you write to yourself from this other voice, this like all-knowing, compassionate, lovely gosh, like beauty voice, mm. that is your compassionate voice that's actually in there. And it's incredible how different the two of them sound. My inner critic voice is get up off the couch, you lazy fat ass. Don't use your orthopedic issues as an excuse to get on those exercise machines. And my self-compassionate voice is sweetheart. Come on. I want you to exercise because you'll feel better because it's healthy because, you know, it's like this motivating, gorgeous, magnificent voice. And that is, that voice is always available to us. I'm curious, do you train that voice to use the word we or you? I speak to myself in, um, in the first person, I think is the answer or no, it, it's the second person. I'll say Julie, sweetheart, to my own self. I see. And then I'll say what I would be saying to a dear friend, somebody that I loved about the exact same issue. I was just wondering because I could see my inner voice saying, we need to get our ass off the couch. You know? Exactly. Uh, but I, I've marked a couple of those exercises. I'm going to do those when I'm during my journaling time because I think those things could really help me. And consequently, I can use them with clients too. They, they seem like really, really powerful things to do. It's amazing. And when, what you'll realize is your inner critic really was trying to keep you either safe or motivate you or have you do your best or whatever it is. It's not 
really a demonic thing, this inner critic. It's, it's usually the voice of a primary caregiver is what they say in the literature. And previously, I'm, I'm gonna be 58. So back in the early baby boomer days, most likely it was your mother. Today, it could easily be your father. Um, and that voice was always the voice that was trying to raise the bar, right? So you just need to make friends with that voice and say, I understand you're trying to help me be the best, but you're not that skillful. You can stand down now. I'll take it from here. So just out of curiosity, what was the most critical thing your mom said to you in your critical voice? C's are not acceptable in this house. Ah, uh, it was grades. Mm -hmm. And you have a compassionate voice that counteracts that? Oh, totally. It's, you know what? The grades aren't important. The learning is what's important and the passion is what's important. Do your best. Wonderful. You also talk about core values. And uh, I work with my clients a lot on core values because it sets the tone for the culture. But you bring it down to an individual level. Tell me about that. Figuring out what your core values are is a wonderful exercise. And then making sure you're living in accordance with them is how you can feel a sense of calm. Having nothing to do with mindfulness calm or meditation calm. It's a whole nother area to explore where if one of your core values is lifelong learning and you're not reading and you're not taking a continuing ed class or something online, why not do it? It might make you really happy. Yeah. Why are you denying yourself? Right? Exactly. In the book, you talk about how you're not really a person who's into prayer, but then you later realize that your mindfulness meditation is sort of praying. I want everybody to hear that from you. Okay, so this is the prayer is kind of a hot button. So I never really appreciated prayer because I didn't resonate with the actual words in the liturgy. I'm really, I'm really literal. And I wasn't comfortable with the God language. And then one day I was really deep in loving kindness meditation. And I was wishing, you know, may you this, may you that, may you the other thing, like all sentient beings being safe and free from suffering. And I was like feeling it in my body and feeling it in my heart. And I had this epiphany. Oh my gosh, I'm praying. And I love it. That's awesome. So for me, prayer works when it's more... I guess, personalized. Absolutely. In tune to my heart, really. But if I'm reading somebody else's words in a book and they're thousands of years old, I can appreciate the tradition, right. but I don't actually feel the words in my heart. I just examine them in my head. Does that make sense? Yeah. I mean, I've often said and, it, and people kind of look at me funny, and I, I never really had a way to articulate what I meant by it. But when I read that in your book, it perfectly explains what I'm talking about. And I have often said, I'm not religious, but I'm spiritual. Exactly. Exactly. Right? I want to be more spiritual, but I don't want to be religious. Right. Organized religion can be problematic. I mean, if you look at history, and we won't get into that. And I don't want to make anybody upset. People get so... They're a little edgy about it, right? 
you know, when people say the word, like the way you were when someone would say the word prayer, it was kind of a hot button for you. The word religion is kind of a hot button for me because when I'm talking about certain things like that, I'm talking about being spiritual and they're like, well, I don't want to talk about religion. I'm like, man, I'm not talking about religion. I'm talking about something personal. Exactly. And it's really your connection to some kind of source in the universe and your connection to your other sentient beings. So here's another issue that comes up from time to time. I'll be working with a client and I'll bring up the subject of meditation. You know the answer, you know, well, I I don't know how, I don't know when I'd ever have time to do that. I'm a really busy person. You got some tips for putting meditation in as a ritual? Oh yeah. People just have to do it at this point. It's like Nike, just do it because it's scientifically based. There's a tipping point. Everybody knows they should do it. They know their blood pressure and their heart rate's going to go down. And if they're depressed or anxious, they'll feel a little better and their well-being will go up. So blah, 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 blah. They need to just put in the earbuds, put on insight timer app. It's free. Pick a meditation for how many minutes you have. Let's say you only have five minutes. Fine. Start with five minutes. Just do that every day. Bookmark the ones you like because otherwise you won't be able to find them again because there's like, I don't know, 13 or 14,000 meditations on there now. I'm even on there, by the way. Oh, wonderful. So bookmark the meditations you like and do it every day. And what you'll find is you'll feel calmer. I think it's like most things. I mean, once you've had the experiential part of it, you've experienced it, you're like, oh my gosh, this feels wonderful. Like, why haven't I been doing this? But it's hard to get people to cross the line of experience. I did a self-esteem workshop here a few months ago. I'll do another one this year. And in that, I was teaching a couple meditation techniques. And that one person said, it was just like my problems all melted away. Well, That's just one effect that you can experience in meditation. But do you have things you tell skeptics about it? Yeah, I say just don't be a skeptic anymore. The evidence is overwhelming. So it doesn't even make sense to be a skeptic anymore. It's kind of dumb. So just do it. And then the proof will be in the pudding because you will feel a sense of calm and peace, you're going to want to do it more. So eventually you're going to want to make 10 minutes to do this. And really, eventually you'll probably want to make 20 minutes to do this. And then on days when you don't do it, you'll notice that you're not feeling as calm or you're not feeling as balanced. And it helps you learn to pause. And the pause is the sweet spot, right? Between reacting and skillfully responding. So your amygdala wants to react immediately to whatever it is. It's on fire, right? Right. You want to get your prefrontal cortex online. Takes maybe 12 seconds, 13, 14 seconds. That pause, that pause is the golden nugget. And meditation helps you learn that pause. Sometimes I think things that are really good for us in life have the worst characterizations about them. We get all these images and thoughts in our mind about what it is, which isn't what it is at all. And I think meditation is one of those things. Yeah, you know what? People think I can't clear my mind. You're not supposed to clear your mind. Nobody can clear their mind, and not when they're alive. Right. So, you know, that's a huge misnomer. And 
I think that maybe they get that from um, seeing images of like monks meditating and it's completely mm -hmm. quiet and chanting. Yeah. And when they, when they see that, you know, those monks, they've been at it a long time, so they can do open awareness meditation. I don't recommend people start with open awareness meditation. It's annoying watching your chattering mind and watching your thoughts and your feelings and emotions and trying not to attach to any storyline and spin out. Better to just put in those buds and listen to a voice telling you what to do. Yeah, if people are like, I don't know, I'm not comfortable in my bare feet. I don't know where I'd get a robe. I don't know what I, you know. <laughs> Stop with the excuses. You don't have to do all that stuff, right? No, and just do it in your car. You're in your car a lot. Just listen to meditation in your car. You're perfectly upright and supported. And most of the people I know, that's when their mind is the most active. That's why they're on the dang cell phone. Yeah. I tell people when they get to an appointment, try to plan on being a little bit early and do a guided meditation before they go in. And before you go in uh, to your house after work, same thing, because you'll show up kind of more present and more loving and more peaceful because you've changed the channel. So we're talking with Julie Potiker and her book is called Life Falls Apart, but you, emphasis you, don't have to. Mindful Methods for Staying Calm in the midst of chaos. I love the book. I highly recommend it to all our listeners. Now I'm going to give you a set of rapid fire questions for you to answer here. And I want you just to answer the first thing that comes to mind. How's that sound? Scary, but I'll do it. <laughs> Best memory that immediately comes to mind for you. Wales. Number one hero in your life. My dad. He's a, an example of resilience since losing my mom almost three years ago, but he's always been the original mindful man. What's the top core value you subscribe to? Truth. Who's the most important person in your life? Oh, wow. I think my husband. What's your favorite thing in the whole wide world? I think learning or loving. I don't know. Teaching. We've got three competing ones there. Um, what's your favorite food? Linguini with white clam sauce. What's the most beautiful place you've been to? Wow. I think um, Chatterbox Falls in the Pacific Northwest. What was cool about that? It was so alive. The nature was magnificent. It was a, like a biodiversity up the wazoo. Incredible. If you could describe success in one word, what would that word be? Love. How do you want to be remembered? Uh, as a being who tried to share and teach love. Some advice for a younger Julie. Don't sweat the small stuff. What's your favorite sound? Meditation chimes. And what is the best lesson you've learned? Go for it. Wonderful. How do people find you? How can people learn more about Julie? My website's a library, honestly. It's it is. It's wonderful. It's uh, mindfulmethodsforlife.com, and the reading and resource tab is, is like a world of great books by all my teachers and their websites and their newsletters, and it's, it's gorgeous. Um, and also, I know a lot of people don't like Facebook, but then again, a lot of people do, and my business Facebook is very happy. There'll never be anything on that Facebook business page, Mindful Methods for Life, that isn't inspirational. So it's an it's 
a little nice little nugget every single day. I love that. I love that. I'm so glad we're friends. Thanks for being on today. Me too. Thank you so much for finding me. She's a mindfulness expert, Julie Potiker. You can learn a lot by getting her book, Life Falls Apart, But You Don't Have To. Mindful Methods for Staying Calm in the Midst of Chaos and go to her website. There's all kinds of great stuff on there. Julie, thanks again. Thank you. Wonderful. We have your business and leadership lesson coming up next on Better Than Before. Hi, I'm Dave Drain. And I'm Dan Burks. And we're the owners of University Subaru. As a locally owned business, we care for our community. We know how important it is to give back because we grew up here and we raised our family here. This is our home. Which means we care for customers like we care for the community. University Subaru, your truly locally owned dealer. From here, been here, and we will always be here for you. Receive weekly coaching tips from Tony Richards, delivered straight to your inbox. Whether you're a CEO or an entrepreneur, Tony can help you reach your goals and give you a competitive edge within your industry. Tony's Monday Morning Coaching Memo covers topics ranging from leadership development to teamwork to company culture and more. Text the word leadership to 38470 to sign up for Tony's Monday Morning Coaching Memo or sign up online at clearvisiondevelopment.com. Welcome back to Better Than Before. Great uh, guest segment there with Julie Potiker. It's time for our leadership and business lesson. And back in uh, Better Than Before, episode number 30, we talked about taking some strategic time for yourself every single week. And in some episodes since then, I have been giving you some ideas on how you can spend that strategic time. And today, I want to talk to you about relaxation taking some of that strategic time for yourself every week and using it to relax. And today I'm going to give you 10 ways that you can productively relax because a lot of people think that when you relax, you're not being productive. You're not being useful, but actually you need to take time for yourself to allow yourself to rest and relax and reset. So here are 10 productive ways that you can do that. Number one, get a massage and you can get a massage each week. That would do you some good. It, it doesn't matter if you're at home, uh, if you're on the road traveling. A lot of times when I'm traveling, I will uh, book a massage in the hotel that I'm staying. They typically have a masseuse or a spa there in the hotel. And I'll call down and make an appointment for myself. Traveling by air uh, sometimes really affects me. I don't know if it's the pressurization of the cabin or what, but my sinuses are really, really sensitive and a massage always helps. And I usually sleep really good that night if I have a nice relaxing massage. Or you can just make it part of your routine. Uh, there are a lot of masseuse practitioners that are highly affordable. So I'm sure if you shop around, you can find one for your budget. Number two, uh, we had Allison Beamer on a couple of weeks ago talking about chiropractic. And uh, this kind of goes with that, but have acupuncture done on yourself. 
many people swear by it for relaxation. I know my wife uh, gets the kind of acupuncture where you actually get stuck with the needle. Uh, I usually get the one where I get the um, acupuncture tool is it vibrates and it looks like a little soldering iron, if you know what that looks like. And then they just touch specific points on my body with it. And it really, really helps me, especially when I have really bad sinus infections, a little bit of that acupuncture and man, it opens right up. Number three, put together some of your favorite tunes on a music playlist. Listen to music that puts you in a different mood. I call this using external stimulus. And uh, some people, if you have external locus of control, in other words, things that seem to send you one way or another typically happen outside you rather than inside you, you can use that to your advantage when you're having a bad day or maybe you're in a bad mood. Uh, sometimes just do it for the sheer enjoyment of it. But put on that music playlist that has those songs on it that really, really put you in a better space and helps you relax. Uh, and vary it up some. In the last 10 years or so, I've really become a fan of classic jazz. I, I've got a couple of uh, playlists that I put on that really relaxes me, puts me in a somber, good mood. So put together uh, a music playlist that uh, puts you in a good mood and helps you relax. Number four, Julie Potiker talked about this just a little bit ago on our show today, meditation. And uh, you may need an instructor uh, to teach you a technique or two that you can practice until you master it. But meditation is really, really, really good for you. And I find a lot of benefits in it. I was a skeptic, but then I began to learn more about it. I learned a couple of techniques. And now I have uh, several meditation techniques and I can select the one that I need for a particular purpose. And it really works. Number five is prayer. And uh, I'm only separating these out because um, if you caught our conversation earlier, and maybe if you were in a little bit more of a spiritual um, place, you want to pray. Meditation and prayer do not have to be the same, or they can be used in conjunction with each other, or they can be used separately. But prayer is number five, and uh, you can do that out loud. You can do that silently to yourself. Number six Maybe you want to do some silent reading, carve out some time to maybe read some classic work or poetry, or maybe you want to discover something new that you haven't maybe read before. Uh, that's the thing I like about reading is it gives you an opportunity to discover a whole lot of different things that maybe you haven't been exposed to. Uh, personally, I have a little strategic time every day called my morning routine, and I have a morning devotional that I read that has uh, scripture with it and a little story that goes with it that's instructional for my spirituality. And so there's all kinds of ways that you can use reading. Number seven, uh, working out and exercising. So you can do that at home, or you can do that at a gym, or you can uh, go take your dog for a walk around the neighborhood. There's all kinds of ways to work out or exercise. Pick the one that you think does you the most good, gives you the most benefit, but that's a really productive way to relax during your strategic time. Number eight, walking or running. I've said this many, many times. I didn't like running when I could run. 
I don't run so well anymore. I don't know that I ever ran well, but I never enjoyed running. Uh, but some people do. They enjoy running. It helps them release endorphins. I've always enjoyed a good brisk walk. Uh, so it's just whatever works for you. Number nine, here's something I also really, really like. Not so much now in this particular season of the year. And of course, if you're listening to this podcast, you may not be able to tell when that is if you're listening to it later. Right now, we're in the middle of winter time. So this one doesn't work as well in winter. Sometimes it can. I know people who do it in the wintertime too. I particularly enjoy doing it in the spring and fall, but it's taking a drive in the country in your automobile. I enjoy driving out country roads in my automobile, taking in the scenery, maybe finding a place to park my vehicle. And then, and then maybe I'm going to combine a couple of this. So I want to drive out in the country in my automobile and put on a music playlist or drive out in the country in my automobile and maybe I want to meditate or drive out in the country in my automobile and find a parking place and take a little walk. So you can uh, combine a couple of these, but number nine is taking a drive in the country in your automobile. And then finally, number 10, I mentioned this earlier, take a walk with your dog. My two dogs, Oreo and Davey, have the secrets to the universe. You would not believe uh, how many wonderful things I learn from my dogs. But um, a couple of years ago in my leadership Columbia class that I teach every year, uh, the class put a PowerPoint together about the highlights of their leadership class year with me being their instructor. And somebody put on their slide, I fear that Oreo and Davey know more about leadership than I do. But it was pretty funny. Number 10 is walking the dog. So let's go through these 10 really, really fast and, and how you can use them. And I'm sure you come up with your own ideas. I'm just using a couple here to, to spark your thoughts. But here's some things you can do. Uh, maybe you can take these on. Some may be out of your normal comfort zone. But anyway, number one, get a massage every week. Number two, get some uh, acupuncture or chiropractic adjustment. Number three, put a music playlist on of songs that you enjoy. Maybe you want to try to discover some new music or music category or genre that you've never listened to before. That would be adventuresome of you. Number four, meditation. Number five, prayer. Number six, silent reading or reading out loud, whichever one you're comfortable with. Number seven, working out, exercising. Number eight, walking or running. Number nine, taking a drive in the country in your automobile. And number 10, walking the dog. But these are some ways that you can spend your strategic time with yourself under the category of relaxation. What a great show we had today. Bill and I started out with some topical trends can you believe 25 million likes on an egg picture on Instagram? Still blows my mind. Julie Potiker, our special guest, was here uh, to talk about her book, and I hope uh, you got plenty of value out of that. And finally, our leadership and business lesson, how to spend some strategic time with yourself relaxing. That's our show for this week. Better Than Before is sponsored by University Subaru. From here, been here, always will be here. University Subaru, your truly locally owned dealer. I'm your host, Tony Richards, speaking on behalf of associate producer Whitney Coker and chief producer Bill Foster, reminding you that everything gets better when you get better. Thank you for listening to Better Than Before with Tony Richards. 
a business leaders podcast powered by Clear Vision Development Group. For more resources from Tony, visit clearvisiondevelopment.com. Join us next time for another episode of Better Than Before with Tony Richards. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.